Welcome to the podcast of the United Church of Bogota. We are a Bible-based church ministering to the English-speaking community in Bogota, Colombia. We invite you to join our diverse fellowship as we encounter God in worship and experience the impact of His grace on every part of our lives and in our world. To learn more, please visit our website at ucbogota.org. This morning we're beginning a new sermon series on Paul's letter to the, to the Colossians. And so go ahead and open your Bibles up to Colossians chapter 1 if you have them. If you don't, there's a Bible in front of you in uh, se- several of the chairs. Uh, and if you're still learning your way around the Bible, you'll find Colossians in the New Testament, sort of 85% of the way through your Bible, uh, between the books of Philippians and 1 Thessalonians. And I've titled our series, Christ the Center. Christ the center, because one of the unique contributions of this letter to the message of the Bible as a whole is that it provides a consistent and complete picture of the glory and the power and the authority and the sufficiency of the ministry of Jesus Christ. Uh, My hope is that God would use our time together in this letter to center us as a community and to center each of us individually again on the life and work of Jesus for us. Because all of us, if we're honest, we, we tend to drift away from Jesus. We tend to maybe even get tired of hearing about Jesus and and think, well, I've, I've got to find life somewhere else. And this letter helps call us back to what ought to be the center of our life, the center of our marriage, the center of our parenting, the center of our working life, the center of everything that we are, and that is Jesus and his ministry to us. But before we jump into our text this morning, I want you to know a couple of things about Colossians generally. As I've mentioned, it was written by the Apostle Paul, who wrote 11 other letters in the New Testament. It's a letter to a church in Colossia. Uh, Paul identifies uh, Timothy, as a sort of co-author of this letter, Timothy was one of his most trusted associates. He left them to pastor a church in Ephesus. Uh, but he includes Timothy as sort of co-author of this letter. And uh, Colossia, the church to which uh, Paul is writing, is, is in modern-day Turkey, kind of the southern part of Turkey, about 160 kilometers to the east of Ephesus probably heard of Ephesus, you've heard of the letter to the Ephesians. Uh, This is sort of a sister city to to Ephesus. And Paul hadn't actually never met anybody in this church, and he's never never even visited Colossia or never knew about this church because he didn't plant it. He was actually living in Ephesus for for a time of about three years, and a man named Epaphras, who we'll see referenced even in our passage today, traveled from Colossia, happened to be in Ephesus, heard the gospel from Paul, traveled back home to his hometown in Colossia, and planted this church. And now, Epaphras has gotten back to Paul, who's in prison now, likely in Rome, and he's giving him an update on how things are going in Colossia. And he has all kinds of encouraging things to say and encouraging stories to tell him. But he also has some difficult things that he has to share with Paul to say, there's some stuff going on here that you need to know about. And one of the most, the, one of the most uh, difficult things that, it, that we know is going on here is that they are being enticed by an alternative religious system. 
We don't know exactly what it is because he never calls it out explicitly. There's all kinds of guesses and people have written all kinds of books about what it actually is. But we don't know exactly what it is. But we do know that what it was doing is that it was drawing these young Christians away from Jesus to look for spiritual life in other sources. And so what Paul does is rather than deal with this teaching systematically and dismantling it, he centers their minds and hearts again on Jesus. He reminds of the, uh, them again of how sufficient Jesus is for all of their spiritual needs. And he begins the letter with a word of thanks that we'll see this morning. And so let's read from Colossians chapter 1 and we'll begin in verse 1 and go down through verse 8. This is God's word. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossia, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of, tr- of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world is, it, is beginning, is, it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, make your word to us this morning a powerful word. Pierce through our defenses and our distractions and put Christ on display in our hearts that we might cherish him, we might trust in him, and we might follow him with all that we are. We ask this in his name. Amen. Great Prime Minister of England, Winston Churchill, once told a story that went like this. It's a young boy that was playing on the end of a pier. And as he was playing, he... fell off the pier all of a sudden and fell into the waves that were crashing below the pier. And after he fell in the water, the the waves and the wind began to carry him out to sea. And a soldier who was on duty nearby saw this boy fall in. And so he threw off his gun and threw off his gear and he ran out to the end of the pier and he jumped in the icy cold water and swam out to this boy, grabbed him, put him on his back and swam him safely back to shore. And he dried him off and talked to this kid and said, where are your parents? He, his parents weren't there. He's playing with other friends. And so, where do you live? And he, the boy took him back to his house. He left him at his house. His parents weren't home, but he left him there safe and sound. Well, a few days later, the boy's parents uh, came looking for the soldier. They had the boy in tow, went back to the place where he had fallen in and where the soldier was on duty. And they were asking other people other, uh, around if they knew who this soldier was. Uh, and everybody directed them to say, yeah, he's over there because they, they uh, wanted to, they figured they'd come to thank him for saving their son's life. And so when they found them, the soldier recognized the parents because they saw them with the, with the kid. And before they could say anything, he said, oh, you know what? no thanks necessary. You don't, you don't need to reward me or thank me for saving your son. Saving your son was, was a reward in of itself. The parents kind of looked at him strangely and they said, we haven't come to give you a reward. We wanted to know what you did with our son's hat. Did you take it? Did you not fish it out of the water? You need to pay us back for that hat or you need to return it to us, good sir. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the ingratitude 
of just receiving your son back from the dead, as it were, and being focused on a hat that he's missing. What a picture of ingratitude. But ingratitude can have that sort of powerful effect on our life, can it? It can make us petty, make us stingy, and it can make us just generally unhappy people. Uh, And ingratitude is something that we all struggle with. We all struggle with this. When we are ungrateful, we are always focused on whatever is missing in our life. Whatever we don't have that we feel like we deserve. We're always searching, looking for that thing that will finally complete us, that will finally give us uh, what we feel like we need in our life. Ingratitude can be a powerful thing. But the Apostle Paul begins this letter to this young church. He knows he's going to have to deal with some difficult things. He knows he's going to have to, to step on some toes. But before he deals directly with the problems, he first gives thanks for this church and for the gifts that he sees in them. Uh, And he does this, I believe, because he knows that part of the reason why these young Christians are looking for spiritual uh, nourishment, spiritual teaching, and spiritual sustenance in other places is because they have a lack of gratitude for what God has already done for them, that what God has already given to them. To put it in the language of our illustration, they've they've received their son back from the dead. Their son has been saved, but they're looking for that missing hat that they feel like they need to have in order to have their son fully back. And they're looking for it in that alternative religious teaching. And so in effect, what Paul does in this text is he says to them, I'm thankful for what I see God doing in you, and you should be thankful too for those things. He wants them and he wants us to be thankful people, to be grateful people. And so Paul is going to teach us today how to be grateful people. And there are two dimensions to Paul's thanksgiving that I want you to see this morning. The giver and the gifts. The giver and the gifts. That's where we're headed. So first, the giver. We should be a thankful people, first and foremost, foremost, because God himself is the giver of all good gifts in our life. It's easy to receive a gift sometimes and completely forget about the person who gave it to you, isn't it? You get, you get this thing and you go, oh wow, look at this, and you for, just forget about the person that gave it to you. Well, God doesn't want that. Paul doesn't want that for the Colossians. He, he doesn't want them to focus so much on the gifts that they forget who it is that has given them those gifts. He wants them to know the God who has given them the gifts. That's the whole point of the gifts. And so what do we notice about God in this passage? Well, something that's easy to miss, but that is central to the God we see in this text is that this God is a trinity. This God's a trinity. As I mentioned, it's Trinity Sunday, and I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't call your attention to the fact that the God that Paul talks about here is God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Let's see what he says. Look at verse 2. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father. He didn't just say grace to you and peace from God. He says grace to you and peace from God our Father. The Father is the one who gives grace and peace. And then in verse 3 he says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
This father is a father not because he has you and me as sons and daughters. This father is a father because he has a son, an only begotten son, whom he has had from all eternity. Which means that God has always been a father. In verse 15, he will call Jesus the image of the invisible God. Which means that as God's son, he shares in the divinity of his father. He is the exact image of the father, of the invisible father. And then in verse 8, look at what he says. He says, Epaphras has made known to us your love in the spirit. The Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity that Andrew preached on last week uh, at, at Pentecost, gives the church this ability to love and to serve one another. And so when we give thanks, we give thanks to this triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit. Maybe you've heard someone say before, yeah, the doctrine of the Trinity, that's something that like theologians came up with like hundreds of years after Jesus was around. Jesus never claimed to be God. Jesus never claimed to have this divine Holy Spirit and this divine, equal to the God and the Father. That's something that was invented like in the third or the fourth century. It's not true. Here Paul talks about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit just 30 years after, after the ministry of Jesus. There were people around that still knew Jesus, that had walked with him, and that had served with him. If there was an easy way for them to say, hey, that's not what Jesus taught at all. They could have said it. But no, Paul sort of naturally just talks about God, Father, Son, and Spirit. And here's why that's important. The triune God is a giver to you and me because he has always been a giver. The Father has always given life to the Son. The Father and the Spirit have, uh, Father and the Son have always given the Spirit. Inside the Godhead has always been this relationship of giving and receiving. And so when God gives to us, when God gives to you, He's not doing something unnatural. He didn't have to learn how to be a giver. He didn't have to learn how to share His toys like our kids do. He has always been a giver from all eternity. And so when He gives to you, He's doing something that is all, that he has always done. Sometimes we might think of God as somewhat of a reluctant giver. In other words, like the things that you might have in your life are things that you had to sort of pry out of his hand and that God is always thinking, well, I've got all this goodness and I've got all this wealth and I've got all these things to give and let me see who is worthy of me giving out my goods to. Be good and I'll give to you. But what I would really like to do is keep all this to myself. No. God has always been a giver. He doesn't know what it's like not to give. He gives, not because he has to, not because he didn't create you in order to have someone to give something to. He gives because he loves giving. And when he creates you, and when he redeemed you, He created you and he redeemed you so that he could expand the circle of giving. So that he could bring you in to the giving that has been going on since eternity. Isn't that amazing? He wants to share with you the life and the giving relationship that he has always known between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Friends, one reason why we may struggle with ingratitude is we forget that everything that we have comes as a gift from this great and generous God. 
If instead we view what we have and what we enjoy as a result of our own efforts, as a result of our own smarts and intelligence or whatever, we may be a lot of things, but we will never be grateful. Because in order to be grateful, you have to see yourself as a recipient of something. And so what I want you to do is I want you to take an inventory of your life. I want you to take an inventory of all the things that you enjoy and all the things that God has given you. From your health, your job, your spouse, your children, your, the clothes on your back, the food on your table, the very breath in your lungs, and to let them raise your mind up to the Father of Jesus and the power of the Spirit who has given you those gifts. Allow that to raise your mind up to Him and recognize your life as a gift from this generous God. That's one effect of taking an inventory of your life, but maybe some of you feel a little bit differently as you take an inventory of your life and you look around. Maybe you, maybe you take an inventory of your life and you think, well, that's nice for some people, but when I look at the things I've got, I've got more to complain about than I do to give thanks for got some questions I need to ask God. Like, hey, I, I, I wanted this. This is something that, that I've wanted and that I've asked for, and it's not a sinful thing I'm asking for. I'm not asking for something evil or wicked or greedy. I'm just asking for a spouse. I'm asking for a child. I'm asking for a good job. And, and God seems to be withholding things. He seems to be not giving me the things that I asked for. And so I feel ungrateful. I feel like I've, I've got a beef with God. I've got some things to complain about. But next, I want us to notice the gifts that God gives. Because it's possible that sometimes we aren't grateful because we may want the wrong things. Let's look at the gifts. Having seen the giver, let's look at the gifts that Paul recognizes in this church. What are the gifts that he notices in this church? He, look again at verse 3. He says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Paul sees three things in the church, doesn't he? Three gifts that he wants them to see and he wants them to recognize. Faith in Christ, love for other Christians, and an unshakable hope that's laid up in heaven for them. Those three things, faith, hope, and love, you've probably heard those in other places, are these three foundational virtues of the Christian life, faith, hope, and love. And we know they're gifts because Paul wouldn't be thanking God for them if they weren't gifts from God. In order to thank him, they have to be from him. And so faith is, is the ability to trust in Jesus Christ. Paul says that's a gift from God. I'm thanking God. He sees that in the church. He says, that God has given you that gift. You see, our sin has disabled us from, from doing spiritual good and he's disabled us from even trusting in the message of the gospel. And, he, and Paul says, the reason why you, Colossians, the reason why you, UCB, if you trust in Jesus, is because God's given you the ability to do that. Love. This is this virtue that binds all together all the other virtues. It's sort of underneath all of the other good deeds that we do. He mentions it in chapter 3 when he tells them to above all put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. This love that we have among the church, he says, that's a gift that God's given you. Hope. What is hope? Well, here in this passage, hope isn't an emotion. It's not something that, boy, I just really hope that happens. Like, we don't know if that's going to happen or not. No. When, he, when Paul talks about hope, he's saying, 
You have a future that God has already purchased for you and has laid up in heaven and he is guarding that there for you and no matter what you do, no matter how much uh, you, you want it or how you forget about it, it's there. It's, it's sure. It's for certain and, and you can't diminish that hope. You can't make it greater. It's out there and it's not going anywhere. And that becomes the foundation of your faith and the foundation of your love. He says, because of the hope that is laid up for you. It's a future that is unshakable and unchangeable. Where do these gifts come from? Well, notice where he says, he says, these are the fruit of the message of the gospel. He said, you heard the message of the gospel from Epaphras, and now that gospel is bearing fruit in your life. We read, uh, Robert read earlier from Isaiah chapter 5, where, where God in the Old Testament had planted Israel, and he wanted grapes from them, and they didn't bear fruit. And then, so he says, you, you couldn't bear fruit, so I need to send my, my begotten son, my only begotten son, Jesus, who becomes the true vine. And then connected to that true vine, he says, if the ones who abide in me will bear fruit. And the types of fruit that we bear are the types of gifts that Paul says he sees in the church. Faith and hope and love. They're gifts of grace. They're not things that we do in order to, to, to get God's attention. They're the results of what God has done for us in Jesus. He centers them already from the beginning on the ministry of Jesus. All the good things you enjoy in life, all the good things that you enjoy in church are as a result of him. But the problem is that sometimes these aren't the gifts that we want. Right? They're not the gifts that we want. I love this scene in Harry Potter, one of the early uh, books, where it's Christmas time, everybody's gone home except for Harry and Ron. And Harry, being an orphan, doesn't think he's going to get any Christmas presents, and, but he gets this gift from this mystery giver. And he opens it, and it's this awesome invisibility cloak, right? This cloak that he can put on and disappear and walk throughout the castle with nobody noticing him and it ends up being a, a great tool for him for the rest of the series. But Ron's, Ron, his roommate, is sitting there watching him open these gifts and he opens his own gift and what does he have? He's got a handmade sweater from his mom that doesn't really fit him very well with a big R sort of sewn on the front. You can see him like trying to be thankful for this going, well, I guess I get another sweater, but man, I would really like an invisibility cloak. And sometimes we feel like that, don't we? We look at the lives around us. We look at people that are in our life and we think, gosh, I, I really want that. Lord, why aren't you giving me the, the, the things that other people have and that, the things I want, a spouse or kids or that, that job, an ability to travel or, or whatever it is. I get this hand-me-down sweater that doesn't fit me very well. That's because we naturally want God to be sort of a genie that sort of gives us the things that we think we most need and the things that we think we most want. And often we are ungrateful because we expect God to give us something and when he doesn't, we're upset. We believe that God must be holding out on you because he hasn't given you what you really need. That's what these people were thinking. I don't have what I need, and so I need to go find it somewhere else in some other religious practitioner. And what Paul wants you to see, what he wants me to see, is that if you want to grow in gratitude, you need to have eyes to see the gifts that God has already given you in Jesus Christ. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, then, Paul, then, then God has 
sent someone into your life, just like he equipped Epaphras to go to Colossia and to share the message of the gospel with them. He has sent someone into your life to do just that. And without God's help, you could never have responded to that message. But he's given you the gift of faith that he opened your eyes and he opened your heart in order to see that message for the value that it is and to respond to it and to say, yes, I believe it. And that ability to believe is not something that you worked up in yourself. It's something that God gave you the ability to do. And that should make you thankful. He's given you the love of the saints. If you have been part of this church for any length of time, you know that there is a sense of love and, 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 uh, and, and community within our church. And we, ought to, we sometimes think, well, that's something that previous pastors have have generated, or that's something that just is sort of automatically here. No, it's not automatically here. God gave it to us as a gift. And so when you have someone who speaks a kind word to you, who says, you know what, I'm encouraged by you, who says, hey, you know what, I want to talk to you about something that I see in your life that, that that is good, or I want to talk to you about something challenging, that is a gift from God, and you ought to give him thanks for that. When your life is falling apart, when everything that you've trusted in and confided in and that you've hoped would happen in your life goes away and disappears. And you can say, no matter what happens, no matter what I lose, no matter what is taken from me, I have a hope in heaven that God's protecting. I have a hope in heaven that no one can take away. I have a hope in heaven that Christ purchased for me with his own blood And nothing can take it away. That's a gift from God that you can't lose and that no one can take from you. And you should give God thanks for that. Friends, these are gifts you can't go shopping for. These are gifts you can't search for on the internet. They don't deliver to Bogota. They're gifts that you can't buy in a store. Friends, they're gifts that have to come from God and he has given them to you. And after all the shiny things that we love have gone and faded away and turned to dust, these gifts will remain. And so friends, my encouragement to all of us today is to fight in gratitude in our hearts. To fight in gratitude by looking for the evidence of faith, hope, and love in your own life and in the lives of those around you. Notice their presence in your own life. Notice them in the lives of others. I confess that it is often very easy for me to see the things that I can be critical about in the lives of other people and the lives of those closest to me, to take these things for granted. Oh, sure, they have faith in Jesus. Sure, they, they're loving to me. And sure, they have the hope in heaven. But let's, let's talk about the things that you don't have. Let's talk about the things that you're failing to do. Let's talk about the things that you haven't done for me. Shame on me, shame on us if we don't see those things in other people. Recognize the gifts that God has given to us. Can you relate to that? Can you, do you relate to finding it easier to criticize and to praise and to give thanks? Instead, let's strive to notice God's good gifts. Let's strive to see them. Let's strive to say something about them. If you see something, say something, right? It's not just for the airport. If you see something, say it. Say, I'm thankful for what I see God working in your life. I'm thankful for the things that he is doing in you, and it blesses me. And may those gifts raise our mind up to the Father who has given us those gifts 
and the ultimate gift that he has given us in the gift of his son. Let's pray. Father, we ask for your forgiveness for the ingratitude that we often have in our lives, the ways in which we have taken your gifts for granted, the true gifts that come down from heaven. And so I pray that you would help us to see those gifts, open our eyes to them, and most of all, help us to see that they come from Christ. As, as the center of our life and help us to find our sufficiency, find our all, find all of the good gifts that we have as coming from him and from the good news of his gospel. And may that give us more grateful hearts that we might express our gratitude to you and all you've given to us and all you are for us. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to support the ministry of UCB, please visit our website at ucbogota.org.